Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Do you ever have those moments when you are scrolling on Instagram and you find yourself returning to one account where you are always shaking your head in agreement? That is what I do when I see all of Haley Page McGee's posts on boundaries. As a child, I helped set boundaries in my household. As an adult and a recovering people pleaser who also teaches about healthy relationships, I'm learning about boundaries in a whole new way. Haley's posts speak directly to the layers that boundaries have and the differences that they possess. Haley is a certified coach, educator, and writer who helps individuals worldwide set empowered boundaries and break the people-pleasing pattern. Certified by Erickson Coaching International, she has worked one-on-one with over 200 clients and her virtual workshops have welcomed thousands of participants from the United States, South Africa, France, Yemen, and beyond. Haley has written for Newsweek, the Gottman Institute blog, and Medium's Better Humans, and has facilitated group coaching sessions in partnership with WeWork, Amazon, Women in Music, and a variety of other companies and organizations. She received her BA from Brandeis University in Massachusetts and currently resides in Seattle, Washington. Thank you, Haley, for being on my show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about it all. (laughs) Yes, me too. Because boundaries are so important. And I feel like often we might know what boundaries are and then we hear a boundary in a whole new way. And we're like, oh, I didn't know that was a boundary. (laughs) Right. Right. There's so many intricacies to it. And there's all these differences between like requests and boundaries and ultimatums. And yeah, it's all very interesting. (laughs) So then my first question for you then is, what made you become a boundary coach? How did you find yourself in that position and recognizing the need for it? Yeah, I think, you know, like so many folks who go into helping professions like coaches or therapists, you know, for me, I wanted to help other people with something I had really struggled with my whole life. Mm. Um, Like you said, for you too, like people pleasing is such a part of my own story. And I remember having so many moments, so many memories when I would be in a situation I really didn't want to be in, whether someone was, you know, monologuing at me at the bar, or I was in a situation I wasn't comfortable at work or elsewhere. And it just felt like I could not access my voice. Mm -hmm. Like I could not say no, I could not set a boundary, even in situations where the stakes weren't very high. Mm -hmm. And that feeling felt debilitating. You know, it felt like the great frontier. And so when I decided to become a coach, I went through my training and they encourage you to think about what area you want to coach in. And right away, I just knew that I wanted to help people with exactly what I'd struggled with. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I feel like so many of us who are people pleasers, I love how you said, I found myself in monologues, like where people are just talking at you. You don't know how to (laughs) escape that. That is just so familiar to me. I feel like for so many of us, learning about boundaries and learning how to set them can feel very foreign for people and just so hard. And it almost can feel, it can make, it can have a a body, a strong body response, right? Almost like a little bit of an attack when you're not used to doing it. It feels a little bit like an attack really uncomfortable. And then you don't know exactly, you know, where to go from that. Or I want to say when that feeling happens, then you are constantly wondering, did I do the right thing? Was that okay? Was that a boundary? Right? Right. No doubt about it. I mean, I think we have to talk about that visceral, emotional and physical response. Mm -hmm. We have to expect it to anticipate it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in, in my work, I use the phrase growing pains to talk about that type of thing. So whether it's after a boundary, you feel guilt, you feel shame, fear, that physical reaction. You know, I, I often use the metaphor of like a workout, right? Like mm. after a workout, when you're strengthening a new muscle, you anticipate that you'll be sore. 
you yeah. know, and when you're sore after you're like, oh, I'm sore, you normalize it. You don't think your arm is falling off. You say, oh, I'm sore because I'm strengthening that muscle. Mm -hmm. And I think we can use the same metaphor with our boundary setting. Like afterwards, it might be uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable because it's new and we're strengthening the muscle of self-advocacy. Right. Yeah. And I do believe that sometimes when we are strengthening the muscle of self-advocacy, we find ourselves setting boundaries with people we didn't realize we would be. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Like people in our lives that we didn't think we'd have to, or mm -hmm. even, mm -hmm. yeah, I think the more we learn about boundaries, it can sometimes feel like a Pandora's box. I think a lot of us like who don't necessarily, we come into this work and we realize, oh, I have been overgiving or, oh, I, I hadn't realized it before, but these interactions actually make me super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so in my experience with clients, you know, they come in thinking they need to set a boundary with one person or in one relationship. And then they realize, hey, perhaps all of my relationships could benefit from some form of boundary setting, no matter how small. Right. Yeah. I feel like the, I've had so many uh, conversations lately as I teach kids in the classroom, we talk about healthy relationships and they, there's so many things where we talk about with consent, right? So I talk about consent and we talk about the need to disappoint. So we're going mm -hmm. to disappoint people for consent to work. And mm. so, and we're taught that we are not taught to disappoint people. And I think that corresponds with boundary setting because we're also learning that we're disappointing maybe a person. And so some of the things that I say is if a person's telling you that they don't want your bo their body touched, or maybe they're saying, no, I don't want to play this game anymore, or I don't want to hold your hand. I'm like, we have to start to learn that it's not them telling you, I don't like you. It's them saying, I need space. You know, so how is it that I'm curious how you talk to people about that in terms of sometimes there's people in our life who are very toxic and we just have to be like, bye. Right. <laughs> you know, like it is or about like, you. <laughs> yeah, it is about I'm going to leave now. But I think maybe there's people sometimes that we need a break from. Yeah. So then how do you but you still really care for that person. So yeah. then how do you speak to that when you're working with people around boundaries? Yeah, I think you really nailed it because it can be a little simpler when someone's behavior is like objectively really harmful or abusive to set a boundary. We feel clear, but I think the hardest boundaries to set are when, you know, we do need to take a little space from a friend or a family member has been interacting with us in a way that makes us uncomfortable. So we need to pause. Mm -hmm. Those are really hard. And I've been through lots of them. Like I've, mm -hmm. especially with friends, like I know over the past couple of years, there have been these moments where I use the word mismatch a lot in my work because I think it's a way of talking about this blamelessly. Yeah. You know, yeah. sometimes because of the, the period we're at in our lives or how introverted we're feeling or how much we have on our plate, our bandwidth, we just may not have the same capacity to interact with others. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, you know, one of their behaviors is bugging us or we're finding something challenging. And so the boundary we set it's really important to sort of build that guilt resiliency yeah. <laughs> to remember that our boundaries are a reflection of our own like needs and limitations and limits. And they don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to be a judgment of someone else. Right. Oh, see, I like that. A judgment yeah. of someone else. Yeah. And we can't control how other people receive our boundaries. So we can say to them, this is truly, this is not a judgment. This is just what I need right now while also recognizing that there may be a need to disappoint. I literally wrote that down because I love that so much. Mm -hmm. And working through that discomfort on our own because we can't manage their experience of our boundaries. Right. How do you deal with the emotion to when it's a boundary being set against you? Right. So I think those of us who tend to struggle to set them also struggle to receive them because mm -hmm. our whole relationship with the idea of boundaries is a little bit funky. Right. Um, because we see them as these very, again, personal entities, like we're hurting other people personally when we set them and we should be hurt when we receive them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think really, again, like depersonalizing the boundary really matters, first of all. So asking ourselves, okay, how is this person trying to care for themselves or tend to themselves with this boundary? Mm -hmm. 
but then also focusing on how that boundary may benefit the relationship as a whole. First of all, first and foremost, they trusted you enough to be authentic and honest with you about what they needed, which I actually think is a sign of healthy intimacy between two people, even though the moment of setting it might feel a bit like a Band-Aid being ripped off. Right. Mm -hmm. But how, you know, how cool is it that like they were honest with you and forthright about what they needed? They then saved you all of this trouble of trying to read their mind or read between the lines. Mm -hmm. So we can recognize that that was a moment of transparency as well. Of healthy communication, right? Of like Uh healthy relationships. So then, okay, every, there's two things. The first one then speaking to what you just talked about right now, Mm -hmm. we live in a world of ghosting Mm -hmm. of people who aren't, who want to set a boundary, but then are not speaking to that boundary being set. That's right. So then what, I'm curious what you think of that kind of boundary setting and is that, when is that appropriate and when is that not appropriate? Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. Ghosting <laughs> such a thing. I mean, and I'm saying this as someone who has ghosted, like mm-hmm. that was actually kind of my go-to for a few years when boundary setting was really hard for me because it felt like the conversation, I was so nervous and fearful about the conversation that I would just rather not have it. Right. Right. Cause we don't like uncomfortable. That's right. We, mm-hmm. we don't like disappointing. Like right. you said. Yeah. So I think I have, I'm of two minds. Mm-hmm. I believe in what I call harm reduction boundary setting. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is like the number one goal is to set a boundary. And if in the beginning, the only way you can do so is imperfectly, I recommend doing it imperfectly. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like the only avenue available to you is ghosting because you don't yet have the resources to set an effective boundary, my thoughts are then ghost truthfully, as okay. opposed to doing the people pleasing indefinitely oh, and kind of sacrificing yourself. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, but generally speaking, the goal is to have enough resources and, and practice to be able to actually set a boundary in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and gosh, I, it's so uncomfortable for people and I get it, but I really think for me, what I've had to work on is remembering that Brene Brown quote, like clear is kind Oh, I yes, I love that. You know, like if, if it's with a date or something, just being like, hey, didn't feel chemistry, wish you the best. Like we can keep it far simpler than we think it needs to be just to give someone that knowledge so they're not left wondering, you know? Yeah, man. How does that come up in your classes and work? I'm super curious if this is a phenomenon, especially for, for kids. Well, What I find a lot with kids is, I mean, the things that we work on is talking about the fact that we don't know how to handle rejection. Um, Many of them are like, we don't know what to do with our feelings with rejection. We don't know how to talk about hard things. Mm. You know, so there's different times when I've done retreats or things with high school students and they have asked, I always say, you know, I give a list out ahead of time of different sexuality topics, and then they pick the ones they want. And every time there's communication. Um, mm. And so we do different role-playing things, like even like breaking up with someone, right? Mm. Of learning how to let go and how to talk to a person about it. And we have these conversations like, well, I don't know how to do this. And I was like, right. <laughs> a lot of us don't know. A lot of us feel pain when we do this. Mm. Um it's hard, you know, and we, and when I talk to kids, I also have acknowledged that, you know, open communication is really hard and difficult. And oftentimes we're not taught specifically how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I also let them know that, you know, adults aren't very good at it either. Right. Right. <laughs> this is a universal I, I say, thing. <laughs> yeah. I say to them, I'm like, and how are adults doing? And they're like, terrible. And I was like, you're correct. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, and I tell them, I'm like, cause it's something we have to practice and we're going to not be great at it, but you know, consent is a practice. Learning how to talk about hard things is a practice. We're not going to be perfect at it. Like you had said, and yeah. And it's something too, you know, youth teach me a lot as I go through lessons with them and stuff. And the fact what I appreciate them is their willingness to be vulnerable and to admit that they can't do these things, but they are willing to learn how. 
Hmm. And that's what I think we Hmm. could all learn from. Right. The humility in that just to be like, I don't know. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's a shame that as adults, as we get older, we think we're less and less allowed to say, I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Help me. Yeah. And just even within some of the classes, some of the questions that I get, you know, I have openly said, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. And so then I'm like, anyone else have a clue of how to answer this question? Because, you know, part of like human sexuality is we all can learn from one another. But really, I think we all have to embrace the fact that we don't know everything and that it's not a bad thing that we don't know everything. And that's why we live in community to learn from one another. And so I think that attitude is so important because it makes especially matters of the heart and matters of relationships just feel a lot less make or break. Like you have to get it right or not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So this takes me back to, this is what I had wanted to say to you. Um, Where you had talked about blamelessness. Is that what you had said something about blamelessness? And recently I had a friend who spoke to me about how they learned a long time ago of studying. I can't remember what it was that they were studying, Mm -hmm. but it said, she had said, it blew her mind when she heard the phrase, there's no such thing as blame, that it's everything is, that it, that life is blameless or something along those lines. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts or if you've heard that before. And when we talk mm-hmm. about, it's so easy for all of us to blame, right? Yeah. Well, this person is blah, 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 you know, or mm-hmm. because of this. And so I was like, what does that even look like then? If nothing... If something isn't mm. of blame. It almost, <laughs> the first thought that came to my mind, and this may not be what your friend was thinking of, but this is what I thought of is, again, I can't believe I'm talking about Brene Brown so much, but in one of her books, she just talks so much about this idea of like everyone doing the best they can with the resources they have at the time, mm-hmm. which kind of speaks to what we were just talking about with ghosting, right? It's like, maybe we ghost not as a way to be malicious, but because we literally don't have the emotional or communication resources to have the hard conversation. Yeah. And frankly, I do kind of ascribe to that idea. Like I do have this sense that people are doing the best they can with what they've got. And so our tendency is to blame them for not having what they don't have. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But they don't have it. So, and there's a million reasons why. But then I think this is tricky too. And I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts too. I think like, but then what about accountability? You know, what about taking responsibility for when we do something that harms someone? Mm -hmm. Turkey, what do you think? Yeah, well, I always go back to um, Maya Angelou's quote, when you know better, do better. Yes. You know, and the fact that, yes, like I, I think what I've learned the most as a human sexuality educator First of all, I think I've become maybe a nicer human because, or more forgiving human, I would say, because I recognize how much we have to learn through relationship and it's in relationships where we're going to mess up the most. Um, Right. That just felt like soothing for my heart. (laughs) Right. We're going to mess up the most in relationships because we probably haven't gotten certain needs met when we were children. That's right. And so we are trying really hard to meet those needs and we're going to do it in a way that's going to harm some people accidentally along the way. And sometimes we're not intentionally doing that. Like sometimes, you know, we are acting out of um, our unconsciousness, you know, of what's going on. Of course. And so because of that, we're going to say the wrong things. We're going to be <laughs> spilling out anxieties when we shouldn't be, you know, like there's going to be a whole list of things we're going to be doing Mm -hmm. that we wish we hadn't done, but it was like where we were at at the time. And so many of us are doing that. And of course, so then that whole level of when you know better, do better comes in. So you recognize, oh, this is why that was happening. That's why I did this behavior. That's right. You know, that's why I acted out in this way. Now I know what can I do to meet those needs myself? Yes. I love the way it's like, it's two sides of the same coin. It can be applied to us and to others, Mm -hmm. right? It's like blaming ourselves less and having self-compassion for those Mm -hmm. moments. And then also when we're able, you know, seeing others through that same lens of like, they were doing what they could. Mm -hmm. And I like the phrase where people used to be like, man, 
what's wrong with them and instead saying, what have I been through? Oh, I love that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, like that's the thing. Like we've been through stuff. (laughs) We're acting from those spaces. And this is so juicy because, and to like piggyback off of that and bring it back to our talk about like boundaries specifically, what I see a lot in my coaching practice is there are so many people who are highly empathetic, deeply attuned. They've probably been to therapy. They understand how like our stuff influences our behaviors. And that can actually lead to making too many accommodations for other people. for another person's yes. harm. So this oh. is like the really juicy nuance is I think yeah. there's a difference. And I, I posted about this recently, but we can have compassion mm-hmm. for someone's like experiences that made them who they are. Mm-hmm and set boundaries that protect ourselves against that person's harmful behavior. Like those two things can exist at the same time. Simultaneously. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, what's hard for some people to, or for all of us, not some people, all of us to differentiate sometimes. Right. Because, because I think because of that compassion level and just knowing that people have been through a lot and you just want to care for them, but also know like, Oh, wait a minute, this isn't healthy for me at the current moment. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, So what do you think then is the biggest thing you believe we get wrong when it comes to boundary setting? Ooh, I have one. Mm -hmm. So I think like the biggest misconception about boundaries is that you can use boundaries to get someone to give you more of something Um, like, which we can't, which is not the point of boundaries, but like, I'll have a lot of folks come to my workshops and say, you know, oh, you know, they're not giving me enough affection. So I should just set a boundary or I really want them to reach out first. So I'm just going to set a boundary, right? There are all these ways we want more love, more attention, more affection, more care, more respect from people. Mm -hmm. And boundaries are not the way you get those things. Um, Yeah. yeah, Say more. I'm like, say more. (laughs) Yeah. So basically I, I talk about this so much recently because I think it's an incredibly important distinction, but There's a difference between requests and boundaries, and we Mm. often get them confused. Sure. So a request, obviously, is when we ask someone to change their behavior to meet our needs, right? So we might ask someone to give us more of something. We might ask someone to stop doing something. Right. Either way, it's a request. And the thing about requests is they're important to make. They're usually our first line of defense when a Mm. need isn't being met, Mm -hmm. but they're fundamentally unenforceable. Hmm, because right. we can't control whether can't they controllers. Need yeah. Yeah. That's right. So requests are others focused. By the time we set a boundary, we surrender the illusion that we can change anyone else. And we say mm-hmm. to ourselves, how close and connected am I willing to be to this person mm-hmm. based on the fact that these needs of mine are not met? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so boundaries are about your boundary is the answer to that question. And so our boundaries are all about us. It's saying, I can't continue the conversation when you're speaking to me that way. You know, I really care about you, but the imbalance of affection in our relationship is no longer working for me. So I'll have to leave it. Like fundamentally boundaries are, they create a little space and distance. Mm -hmm. So where, how do you, there's so many things that are coming in my mind. Um, (laughs) There's so much here. I know. (laughs) know, Okay. (laughs) Okay. So. What if you have two people who are people pleasers and aren't equipped or know how to set the boundaries that they need to set? Because there's a lot of people pleasers in this world, right? And they often find each other somehow. So how do you, have you helped people like that where there's like two people pleasers in this kind of a relationship and they both have a hard time setting a boundary? Yeah. I mean, totally. And those are almost, it's almost funny. You know, I, I'm like that in a lot of my relationships too, right? Like we do find each other. And I think the first step is just getting comfortable saying what you need. I mean, that's yeah. really ground zero is like, can you for yourself articulate your own feelings and needs? I think the issue then what you just said there is people don't know their needs mm-hmm. sometimes, right? Like yep. there is, the, and I think that is the most interesting thing is because we we aren't given sometimes the permission to really even look at what our needs are. That's right. And to have the time to really ingest that and 
look to see what that means. Especially, I think, in our culture, that's so busy all the time. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're kind of, we sublimate it all because things are just happening so fast and we're working and we're trying to be productive. And then, mm-hmm. you know, which is, yeah. I think, like, I I talk a lot with my clients about identifying, like, your need signposts. So if we struggle to identify a need, which so many of us do, Mm -hmm. we can actually take a step back and just notice when we're feeling certain feelings. Mm. So doing our best to notice when we're feeling some of the heavy hitters are like resentment, anger, overwhelm, burnout, avoidance, um, and feeling taken advantage of, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all of those are such, when we notice them, we can pause and we can say, what unmet need is underlying this emotion. Yeah. It's like paying attention to the icky feelings in our body. Like when the yeah. icky feeling comes up, it's like, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. That's right. They're totally messengers. And I think it's really common too, to be like, well, I'm, I'm angry because I don't want my mom to say that anymore. It's, it's common for us to, to frame the need negatively of what we do not want. Mm-hmm. So then we can just play the opposite game. Okay. This is what you do not want or do not need. What's the opposite of that? And then that is kind of a pathway to show us what is it that we need, whether that's safety, respect, communication, and then you got your need. So then you talk about it, (laughs) hopefully. (laughs) No, that's great. That's a great way of framing it. Cause I think, I feel like sometimes it's uh, hard or debilitating for people to even like sit down to be like, well, what is my need? And what is not completely being met? Because I think sometimes we're not also in touch with that. Like, you know, we're we have kind of those, like I said, un, um, unmet needs as, ch- as a child, but not being really clear too of how those then integrate into our adult life, right? No doubt. And I think it's super true. And I think it's also, we have to look at different intersections. Like I've worked with a lot of men clients who, because they weren't socialized and taught to identify or express their needs or feelings, there's a real struggle to even wrap language around that. And there's immense like frustration infused into that. And I have a ton of compassion for that, mm-hmm. you know? So oh, being sure. mindful around like, yeah, there are a lot of barriers that prevent us from accessing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. So what, uh, what has been the most helpful for you personally in learning about boundary setting since you yourself said you were a people or were a people pleaser? what has given you the momentum to learn about this and to do this work? I think like many, like many people, I'm very much like a see it to believe it type of person. Mm -hmm. You know, I can read the books and I can read some inspirational Instagram posts, but I'm not going to feel confident and good about boundary setting until I try it and it goes well. (laughs) you know that's true yeah so I think for me what really motivated the journey because when you start boundary setting you think it's all going to go bad there's so much fear Mm -hmm. but then and sometimes it does there's no doubt sometimes we lose relationships sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes things fall apart but it's not the whole story because there were times that I've set boundaries or even made requests like Mm -hmm. I'll never forget this one time we talked earlier about monologuing and how a lot of us get are on the receiving end of monologues. Yeah. And there was this period in my life where I just felt like even all my closest friends, I was always the listener. Mm. You know, I was listening. No one was asking questions. I just felt so like no one cares what I have to say. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget. That was one of the first boundaries I set was two separate friends on two separate days, I kind of sat them both down and I was like shaking, right? I've got my, my paper and I'm like, oh, and I was like, I want to talk to you about something. I'm really nervous to say this, but recently I've been noticing, I feel like, you know, I feel like you're not asking any questions. I feel like you don't really care about what I have to say. Can you help me? Like, can you help me take up more space in these conversations? And I was shocked because both of those friends, different conversations said, oh my God, Haley, of course, my experience of this was that you didn't want to be vulnerable with me or share anything. So here oh, I was thinking that you didn't want to be close. Oh, how interesting. It was so fascinating. And I was like, whoa. And, and of course they were receptive. And then those conversations became more balanced. So that's one example of how sometimes it goes well. 
and thank God we communicate about it because otherwise we would have been like ships in the night, never knowing. Right. I hate when that happens. <laughs> it's such a lost opportunity. It so is. It's it really worth. Too often. Yeah, it happens too often. It's mm -hmm. really worth saying. And so stories like that and little moments like that of like little victories totally make it worth it. Yeah, that's that's really great and so encouraging. I think too to hear stories like that to know we just have to take that step right take that one step out that's we right might be trembling like you said but look at the like loveliness that came from that yeah and like baby steps like we don't have to set the biggest most egregious boundaries right away we can mm -hmm. start by you know telling our partner which restaurant we'd prefer to go to that night or asking mm -hmm. for an hour alone you know what I mean like little things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what are some of the things that you have noticed like universally from people who come to you where you think we just struggle a lot hmm. and what do you think the root of that is hmm. gosh I mean I think a lot of people come there's this idea not that our needs don't matter I think pretty much everyone is able to at least cognitively say like I know my needs matter but I think a lot of people especially in their family of origin and throughout adolescence and young adulthood they learned through experience that their role was to just smush their needs down into this teeny tiny little box. Mm -hmm. And so they know from experience that they are capable of doing that. Mm. And so in modern day, when they're in relationships that feel a little unhealthy or they're connecting with people who aren't showing up or meeting their needs, instead of approaching that from a place of, I have these needs, they're not being met. Therefore, this connection isn't a good fit. A lot of people approach it from, I have this connection, it's not really working, but I can just like make my needs a little smaller and then mm. it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So there's this tendency to like internally try to shrink ourselves instead of just yeah. letting the mismatch be what it is. And over, -accom like over accommodating. Over accommodating, exactly. Being like, oh, well, I can handle your mistreatment or your lack of care because, oh, I don't really need that. We, we don't take our needs seriously. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes to self-worth, right? Completely. Yeah. I think it comes to self-worth and I feel, and this is one of the things, right, that I talk about too with kids. And then, and this is happens more so like in, for instance, um, when I've been asked to go to churches and speak, right? So we always have that, um, that religious bent of love your neighbor as thyself, right? And I say to people, I'm like, so talk to me about loving our neighbors as ourselves how well do we think we really like ourselves looking at how the world treats each other profound you know? that's yeah right and they pause and they go well we don't like each other very much ourselves very much right. I'm like right so I'm like how is it that we can learn how to care for ourselves and that's actually the other thing that I had gotten so many comments on this last year is so many of the youth kept saying when do I know that I'm worthy? And they would say things in the comment box, like, how do I increase my self-esteem? When will I feel okay? Just these mm. constant like cries for help really was what it was. But I'm like, yeah. I just feel like there's so many of us who have a hard time even getting up knowing that we're worth um, having needs met, that we're worth discovering what our needs are, mm -hmm. that we're worth setting a boundary for, you know? And so I feel like there's just this collective work amongst our society of recognizing our own dignity to then being able to offer that to other people. Mm. That's beautifully said. I'm just like sitting with that <laughs> because I think it's true. Like it's really hard to connect or love others like more than we can do that with ourselves, mm -hmm. especially connecting, like not to sound like a total Luddite or whatever, but I feel like so much of being able to cultivate self-worth comes from being able to be with oneself. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And a mm -hmm. lot of that's, it's the idea like, okay, happiness can't necessarily come from external circumstances. How can we be at home in ourselves? Mm -hmm. And I do think that technology and the constant obsession with productivity and the go, yeah. go, go, like we are never, especially kids, like 
when are we alone with ourselves to be able to develop that relationship with ourselves, not in the presence of a phone, <laughs> right. but just like, you know? Yeah. I actually have a friend right now who talks about how she thinks she's in this space of healing and she's intentionally and deliberately not doing as much social connection. Like she still does, right? She goes to work and we'll go see a friend every now and then for dinner. But she, she's like, I am just literally spending time in a garden. I am at home with my pets. I am being cozy. I am reading. And she goes, because I am just spending time with me. And I was like, oh, I think that's beautiful. <laughs> Good for her. Right? Because she's like, I just want to be with me and to to learn to love me. And so I'm going to take this time and do that. And I think there's so many of us who don't, you know, are just, again, constantly going. And now that we have social media, you know, and constantly showing the world, look, and I'm feeling great. Totally. <laughs> Instead of how so many of us are really feeling <laughs> you know? Yep. And like normalizing the shadow side of life, like mm -hmm. God, and this, this totally comes into play again with what all the things we're talking about, because we can't possibly heal. If we think the healing journey is all just like rainbows and butterflies and feeling happy all the time. Right. It's like the need to disappoint, the need to grieve, the need to be lonely. Like all of these things are, in my opinion, just as if not more important and necessary to healing as the good times. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because I'm preparing for a talk right now and I'm talking about, I've been going to this um, thing called clay lab where I go play with clay. Oh my God. And I'm like <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrible at it. And I absolutely love it. <laughs> uh, right. And it's like, so not the point. It's like, just get your hands in there and like, yes. Yeah. And what I've recognized is the, the beauty of the metaphor of recognizing, so this is kind of what I'm saying in my talk, but we often say I'm broken when something's hard, like hard happens to us, or if we make a mistake, or if we do a behavior that goes against our value system, we will say I am broken. I used to say, I said it all the time, this is my brokenness. But now through Clay Lab, <laughs> I have recognized we're not broken. We're, this is being human. I think we're disrupted. I think it's being just disrupted because the beautiful thing that I've recognized is like when clay is broken or if you're throwing a wheel and it like, or a wheel, if you're throwing on the wheel and like something collapses or whatever, like they take the clay and they put it inside of this bucket and all the broken pieces and all this like mismatched pieces go into this bucket. And I was like, we're not broken. We just need to get in a bucket. <laughs> get in the bucket. That's right. We need now. to get in the bucket because sometimes we just need more water. Sometimes we just need to, you know, simmer. We just need to recollect ourselves. We need to be in a messy space because the bucket is messy. And I feel like we have to go through a healing process that's going to feel a little messy, a little dirty we're going to get wet from crying. <laughs> you know? We just need more water. And so that has been a very helpful reframe for me. Like we're not broken. This is a human experience and we just need to get in the bucket, whatever that means, going to therapy, learning to forgive, like taking more walks, you know, sitting with the hard feelings, like that's, that's right. getting in the bucket. Right. Letting yourself grieve, like just letting yourself be sad. Like, mm -hmm. I love that. That's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. Yeah. I know it's been helping me lately. I was like, I need to be in the bucket for this. Bucket. <laughs> I'm putting this in the bucket. <laughs> I know this is totally going to inform my journaling later. I'm like, All right, how do I get in the bucket right now? <laughs> right. So what have you learned yourself through helping other people set boundaries? You know, every year it seems presents new light bulb moments in the healing. It's just like an onion, right? I think it's like, okay, boundaries are simple and clear and breaking the people pleasing pattern is obvious, but then there's another layer and another layer. Mm -hmm. I think the layer I'm on right now is this really beautiful layer. Like I was, I was reflecting at the end of 2022 and I was like, you know, what's kind of surprised me or what have I learned this year? And I, I wrote down, I kind of surprised myself. It was that I've kind of learned to experience the joy of giving. Mm -hmm. Um, 
like this year, I really noticed how my attention was driven toward, you know, I, I was saying yes to like driving a friend to the airport or really treating a friend on her birthday or helping a partner with something. And for many years, when I started breaking the people pleasing pattern, I felt that I had to be like rightly so very protective about myself. Like I was so tired of giving because mm. I'd spent my whole darn life over giving and I yeah. was done and I was resentful and I was just like, I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not like I was a jerk. I just really didn't find any joy in it. And so what's so interesting is that what I'm learning now is that after the only way to enjoy giving is to stop over giving. Yeah. And they are literally two different experiences. Like when we're over giving and people pleasing, it's based on like compulsion and we're afraid of what happen what will happen if we don't and we need to be needed. There's all this like mm. insidious extra stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but once we like learn to set boundaries around our giving, we can give without feeling resentful. Like we can give when we're able and give a lot when we're able. And that giving a lot can feel so good and like spiritual and restorative. But I would have never learned that if I hadn't first learned how to set boundaries, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just, I mean, it seems like that's like your baby step in a way that you had talked about of learning like, oh, a positive outcome can do this. Me learning how to not give all the time can make me feel like this and maybe be able to give more in the ways that I choose to. Yes, that's right. It's very much like the can't pour from an empty cup, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and then once your cup is full, it's like, whoa, I can pour from it. And it makes me super stoked to pour from it. It's mm -hmm. like a win-win. Mm -hmm. So I had one other question thinking about, it's so important to set boundaries. It's important to learn how to do this. But I do feel like there's some people maybe who also, oh, and I think you spoke to this a little bit before too, who like overly set like set boundaries to an extreme. Mm -hmm. And so what do you have to say about an individual who's like setting boundaries in such a way that it's like their MO? Mm -hmm. I think those people, um, and I've been those people at different points in my life too. I think it comes from, there's this belief that setting all these boundaries will lead us to safety because mm. there are situations that make us feel uncomfortable or distressed or mismatched with the person mm -hmm. and so we'll set a boundary or we will remove ourselves from the connection fast yeah and i think that something i invite those people to explore is like what discomfort are you afraid to feel mm. um and how might you increase your distress tolerance so that small differences between you and other people don't provoke these massive disconnects mm. You know, because I, I think of times like there, I remember like there have been friends with whom I've been tempted to just get out of there sure. um, and be like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I don't like this tendency. I should just, whatever, I should just get out of here. So I had to learn to like sit with those discomforts and learn different ways of managing them. And by doing that, um, you actually find that like you can sustain relationships in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and know? I think that's, that's also like how you had talked about before with your previous friends. Like even entering into a conversation too with, with a person to be like, so this was feeling uncomfortable for me. You know, can we talk a little bit about that instead of just the disconnect, like reaching for, maybe it is like, maybe part of boundaries setting is also reaching for the connection, a like vulnerable, honest connection mm. to help us like get those needs met, which you've talked about, but I've just, for some reason, putting it together. <laughs> you no, know, I you, love that. I mean, but you have been saying that, but I think that's what it is, is, is like move towards a connection where we can show ourselves with the hope to understanding to see the other person. Yes. And like, let each other be who we are. Like, I think mm -hmm. that's kind of like the secret formula we're all kind of striving for when we set boundaries is like, because there's all these different variables we can tweak in a relationship, right? We can tweak how much time we spend with someone, how often we communicate with them, what we communicate about, what our expectations are of this person. And I often, I envision them as almost like little dials or little, little tweaky soundboard things. Like if we can just tweak it all to find the right combination of things, 
the relationship can be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's minor adjustments instead of a complete cutoff, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, so I'm, I'm just loving this conversation with this you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I have recently learned that I have inattentive ADHD. And within that, I have learned of something called rejection sensitivity. Dis, I think it's dysmorphia or something dysphoria, like that. Dysphoria, I think. Dysphoria. Thank yeah. you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> pretty certain I have that <laughs> based off of what it talks about around rejection. And what I have found interesting is if I have felt like a boundary is being placed towards me, I can find myself going into a state of feeling just deep rejection, right? Mm-hmm. And feeling remorse and then and then doing behaviors where I seek attachment so much so that I feel like I let my own individual power away. Like I give it away. From that same person who set the boundary with you, you seek attachment from. Right. Which I have been looking at lately and I'm like, oh, I, you know, and for me personally, I recognize I've done that my entire life. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And, and I recently, and I've been loving listening to Gaber Mate lately. Oh yeah. He's great. Right. And his, and his conversations around sometimes when we seek too much attachment, right. We lose that authenticity of who we are. And when we are moving towards those spaces of attachment so much, you know, like when we choose attachment over our own authenticity, he was making the connection of that's where our bodies get ill. Mm, Yes. I was like, like, whoa, like my entire world just like blew up. But I think that recognizing some of that stuff within me has made me realize too, why boundary setting is sometimes harder for people or why it feels Mm -hmm. like an attack for others. And it's because of that sense of, you know, again, learning how to, I think, be okay with who we are learning to love ourselves, to know that a rejection of someone rejecting you is not going to destroy you. That's right. You know, that's right. I think you're spot on. And I think the more we have a home within ourselves and feel a sense of alignment with our own values and like confidence with ourselves, rejection, I think sucks like universally (laughs) like I don't think we're going to go out there and be enlightened and not care at all (laughs) but I do think that it maybe becomes more bearable when someone else's rejection doesn't feel like a like the objective truth about who we are and what we're worthy of yeah exactly we should just make t-shirts let's just get a t-shirt made (laughs) rejection sucks let's do it (laughs) it totally sucks like I feel like that's again right no way around it growing pain yeah Oh, and this is, I mean, and don't you think like, these are the conversations, parents, if you're listening, that I think we need to be having with our kids. Universe, like a hundred percent. Yes. Set, set the standard early that these things are normal, that there's room for them. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure as I am not a parent, but I'm sure as a parent, what that would also require is like being okay with them ourselves. So we can role model that for our kids. Right. Which is always the hardest thing. And I think not going to our kids rescue all the time. Like, so I feel like there's been a shift in, in the parenting structure, you know, as generation to generation, we try to fix something from beforehand. Right. And I think that there's a lot of going to kids rescues to their rescue to fix a certain thing for them. So they're not feeling that disappointment appointment, but I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to have them feel disappointment and give them the tools to work through that sense of uncomfortable feelings because we're going to have them a lot, (laughs) you know, Yes, we have them a lot. How can we care? You know, how can you help your child learn to care for themselves in those times? A hundred percent. That's like building resiliency, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's, we need it for everything. Oh yeah. 100%. My goodness. There's been so many things that have been said. I just, I just love all these things that you've been talking about. So we are, um, oh my gosh, almost out of time. You kind of spoke to this before, 
where you talked about the layer that you're on, but I ask all of my guests, what story are you reframing in your life today? Is there, that was the story maybe around a boundary, but is there another story in your life that you're reframing? I think right now I'm reframing the story that I have to have it all figured out, which is not a unique story to me at all, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I do think a lot of breaking the people pleasing pattern is surrendering like the illusion of control over things, like control over other people, control over outcomes. And I think I'm at a period in my life now where what I'm trying to reframe is this idea of if I play all my cards right, right now, I can map out my ideal future experience. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to surrender the marionette strings and just kind of trust that I'll know when I know. (laughs) Yeah. Which right. is not really related to much of what we were talking about, but I think oh, no. it is kind okay. of like a surrender in a way that I've been trying to practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you with learning how to practice that. So how can people get a hold of you if they're like, mm, I'm going to have to call Haley because I need help with boundaries. <laughs> totally. <laughs> a good first step is checking out my Instagram because I post there every day and you can get a sense of if what I'm talking about resonates with you. So I'm at Haley Page McGee. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to work with me or learn more about my like workshops, support groups, um, and talks, you can go to HaleyMcGee.com. And that's the home base for all of that stuff. Well, what you do is so important and crucial. And everyone, I mean, that's how I found her because her Instagram posts just resonate with me on multiple levels. <laughs> I think I like them every day. Or I share them in my stories. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so go find her. And Haley, just thank you for being on the show today. This was a great chat. It's a constellation of fun topics. So thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>